0: Hello and welcome to the Men's Corner podcast. Today I'm talking to a good friend of mine, Alex Ziri. Hello, Alex. George. How are you doing?
1: I'm very good. How about you?
0: Good. Now I did a blog post where I sort of introduced you to my audience, didn't I? Just uh, a week ago or something. And it wasn't—I never mentioned what you've actually done with your life. I just wanted to introduce you as the person who you are and the person who you're becoming and have become. Now, however, I want to just introduce you to the people and um, just to cover a little bit of what you've done. So um, at the moment, you're a coach. You're focusing on business and awareness, but before you used to be a professional break dancer. Is that right? Mm -hmm. And you were a part of um, the team Schmetter, which is, which is one of the top crews in the world, which is pretty wild. You travel the world. You did battles on stage and um, in front of 10,000 people or more. Then you organized this world championship called Rose Circles in your hometown of Antwerp, Belgium. At its peak, you had 1 million YouTube views. You had 2,000 people present at that event per year. Uh, You had about 50 countries participating, which is crazy. But then, that's when it gets interesting, then you came over to London. And you worked at London Real, which before I met you, I used to follow that show a lot. You know, he had very interesting people coming. I didn't know you were behind this more or less. You're behind a marketing strategy. So uh, you worked as the head of product for three years. You created four major courses and led most of the marketing effort and, you know, launch strategy, copywriting, sales page, pages, social media strategy and all these things. And you basically made them millions of pounds in revenue, uh, which is great, Correct. you know. And now you coach people... You coach entrepreneurs, which, you know, people like me, you coached me, right? Um, Just in helping them how to market themselves, which, you know, it's much needed. How to content creation and product creation, how to launch their business. But what's very interesting is that you actually combine this with the inner outlook, awareness. You help them understand what they want. Why do they want it? And, And also you help them understand how not to burn out and how not to get stressed or feel lost or overwhelmed, which is basically what happened to you, didn't it? When you were in London well before we come to this present moment where I'd like for you to tell us a bit more about what happened to you in London I want to go back way back could you tell us more about um, what was it like growing up and in particular I want to hear a bit more about your dad what was his upbringing like
1: so I grew up in Antwerp Belgium um, which is the second biggest city of Belgium Uh, most people probably have never heard of it and although Belgium is a great country and anybody living in Belgium cannot really call themselves poor I do come from a background where I was basically low social status we were pretty poor all those type of things Um, but I had a pretty happy childhood or at least I I thought I had a a happy childhood that's how I perceived it I had a, a mother who is Belgian and then my father he's from Tunisia So I'm half Tunisian, half Belgium. So Tunisia is in uh, North Africa. And my father migrated from Tunisia all the way to Belgium. And he kind of fled from his house when he was 17 because he had a really hard upbringing. And when he he, he moved, for, he went from Tunisia, he took the boat to Italy from, and he was one of the first real immigrants in Europe before the flood, before the flood of all the North African uh, immigrants in Europe. And uh, then he went from there to France and from France, he came to Belgium and in Belgium, that's where he stayed hmm. and uh, ultimately met my mother and had me.
0: Wow. What was he running from? Do you know? His... Was it personal problems or was it political things? Because I don't know much about what, what was going on back then in Tunisia.
1: So my father is a child. His parents, they had him when they, they were both very young, the parents. So they had wow. my father when they, you know, my grandmother was 12 and my grandfather was maybe 15, 16 or something. Wow. And they split up and they both started their own family. And each of them had seven, eight kids each wow. And my father was kind of in between and he stayed with mostly with my father, but my father was mostly not paying attention. He was working really hard to my grandfather was working really hard to want to build some type of foundation through having a store and having a big house where everybody can live. So he's not paying a lot of attention to to him. And my mother, my grandmother-in-law she was really tough on my father because she wanted to make sure her children moved to the front and and then right and and in arab culture what when i said when i say so my grandmother-in-law was very mean and always excluded my father and in the western world you know we would see that as um, evil you know or or bad (laughs) But in Arab culture apparently it's it's a very normal thing for mother-in-laws to um, suppress or steer away from children that are not really theirs. Yeah. So my father had some some really bad things happen to him you know for instance, mm. uh, my mother-in-law would take hot chili peppers like like um, you know uh, spicy peppers, oh, yeah. th- th- take the, the juice of that and then pour the juice in my father's eyes when he was sleeping.
0: Oh wow! Huh. Do you know in Bulgaria, we've got this, uh, when children are naughty, at least my gram- my grandmother and that generation, when they're naughty, they do this with the chili peppers but on their tongue, uh, not in their eyes, that's even worse.
1: Yeah, you know, so, that, wow! I, I got a couple of stories like that uh, and that, that made him leave
0: because mm. it was just
1: too hard for him.
0: Wow. So, him coming over and sort of going through all this hardship, And then, you know, having you, settling down and having you, what was it like growing up with him, with somebody who's been through what he's been through?
1: Well, my father was there, but he was never really there. He became, at the age of, I believe, 40, the government told him he was, they declared him handicapped with his eyes. Because he would go out and work in the chemical industry and um, because of the gases that he would be around, he probably had damage to his eyes because of that. And then also, most probably also related to the spicy peppers that I just talked about. I I don't know what kind of impact that had, but that probably also had an impact. And he couldn't see clearly anymore. It's not that he was blind, but he had very bad eyesight when he was 40. And the government declared him 67% handicap. Wow. And when you're declared that, you get a you get welfare. And in Belgium, you get pretty good welfare. But I think that kind of started fucking with his mind a little bit. Because if you're, you know, it might seem like a ticket out <laughs> and that, you know, like you have you have all the money you need, but he couldn't work and he's a very hard worker. And you know, I'm a hard worker. My mom's a hard worker. My brothers and sisters, they're all hard workers. So I think the fact that he became handy declared handicapped at 40. Um it, it was it was like for me, it was like he was showcasing or he was presenting himself to me as if life dealt him a bad hand of cards. Yeah. Is that the like, great? Right? Yeah. And no. he said, Well, this is this is the hand I'm dealt, and you know what? I can't help it. I can't do anything. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna lay back and just be depressed and basically my whole childhood he was just watching television that's that's my that's what i see him sitting in the couch getting fatter and watching television and as i this last year as i started doing more and more inner work on myself i started examining my childhood i always thought i had a great childhood but as i started digging deeper together with a mentor of mine i saw that i had not one loving memory of my father So uh, he never taught me how to shave. He never brought me to school. He never encouraged me to to go pursue dancing or anything else. He never said, I love you. He was there, but he was never really there. And I don't know if you've, in storytelling, they say, you have, you know, you, you think in storytelling, when they tell a story, they're always trying to contrast the good versus the bad to tell a great story. Yeah. And what would you think? What's the op- what do you think the opposite is of love?
0: Well, it's supposed to be hate, right?
1: Yeah, that's what most people will think. But what what is even what is even more what is even more worse, and uh, what what's even worse, and th- this is something that gets neglected a lot. The real opposite is indifference.
0: Ah, yes, yes, yeah. Well, at least
1: when somebody hates you, mm. there there is a response. Yeah, but indifference is the is the is even a, a level higher, and in our society, we we like to act like that's not a big deal, like mm-hmm. and like that's not emotional abuse. As mm-hmm. if, well, he you know he never talked to me and all that. But you do have to realize that not talking to you at all is usually worse than being there but not being there in the way that you want it to be.
0: Yeah, because it's harder to detect and you can't deal with it. It was m- many ways that was the same for me, you know. Um, I, I read a book years ago by a guy called Gordon Dalby and, uh, and he said there's two ways to kill a living organism like a plant. One is to beat it, smash it and that's obvious, that's bad. But the other way, which takes a bit longer is to just not water it. just leave it. Don't give it any attention, just leave it in the dark. don't it would die. Either way it dies. But the second way is harder to see, oh well, the plant is doing well right? It's slowly withering. So uh, hmm, correct. Right. Welcome to the club. When you say inner work and I thought I had a happy childhood, I just smiled inside, said like, yeah, welcome to the club. It was the same for me. It's incredible how similar we are. Like, it's just incredible. It's just a, a pleasure for me to just dig deeper into this because now we got time. Um, Is there any particular story that you want to share? Of When did you become aware of... Well, if you want, I can give you one example of mine where I was 15, right? And up until I was 15, I knew inside my spirit but not inside of my conscious mind that I'm not like my dad I'm not good enough to be a man like he's the model and I'm just I need to hide that the fact that I'm not but I'm not right uh I I sort of believe that but it, it hadn't been confirmed officially <laughs> uh and it became confirmed officially when I was 15 uh this guy gave me a black eye I, I couldn't I didn't have it in me to fight I didn't have the fighting spirit for a reason I didn't have it I believe all boys have it, but it it gets suppressed, stifled, ignored, untrained, or shut down uh, out of us, inside of us. Um, and so when this bully sort of faced me and I just, you know, he confirmed what I knew. But then the bully doesn't have the power. Who has the power was the man inside, in my own house. And um unfortunately, my dad, bless him, you know, I don't. Uh, this is just to say, and I keep saying this to to everyone, to my clients, to, to to people who listen to podcasts, this is not, we're not putting our fathers down. We actually want to embrace the heritage of our fathers, but we have to deal with the bad in order to find the good. If we are afraid to approach the things as they are and then start shifting around the bad things to get to the good, then we're just, that's not good. We're not getting anywhere. So um just to say that, it's kind of a disclaimer. Um... And then my dad, I walked into the house and he saw the black eye and, and he said, who did it? And I told him we did it. And he tried to, prior to this moment, he didn't, we didn't have any loving relationship. So I was already on edge when I was around him thinking, is he going to see that I'm, I'm not like him? Because he was a wild boy. He he was expelled from six schools and he was very bright. He was a bright student, but he just didn't stand to any bullying, any injustice. He just hit them. He hit them. He hit everyone. And uh, he was expelled from six schools, but he was loved and respected, which is kind of... Weird, because he wasn't this bad guy that I could push against. I don't want to be like him. No, he was actually a very good role model in many ways. Like, he never, he was silenced against injustice. It was hard not to worship him. So his opinion of me mattered everything, everything. I basically built my life around this in many ways when I was growing up. So coming in the house, told him who did it, and then he said, oh, you need to go and just get them. Beat this guy up, you know. Uh, and when he saw that I wasn't going to do it, he just said, Oh, forget it don't worry I'll do it you're not made for this (laughs) and he didn't mean to be nasty he just came out of him just a statement and I I remember then I knew then I knew I remember then I had this dissociation I just hated myself from this moment on fast forward five years I was a big guy with a shaved head with a scar on my head lifting weights and for very next day I started pumping the weights I hate you you little worm you're not a man you're never gonna be a man I'm going to kill you or at least try suppress you as much as I can. I'm going to raise up another George who is bigger, stronger. He's not going to mm, have anything to do with you. And you know, trying to grow up without part of yourself, that's not very good. <laughs> it doesn't work in the long term. So that was one story, just simply one story where I felt, Oh, yeah, life is bad. I better change. And that's, you know, if you change out of necessity, that's out of this, this sort of bad experience. It's, it's very rarely for the better. So is there anything like this that, that you want to? Point at? Is there anything that comes to your mind when you talk about these stories? It doesn't have to be. Um,
1: so I, I think I had a, a couple, yeah, similar stories happen as well. Um, I remember my my father. I remember me that I was being bullied by two guys, and they were bullying me on the streets. And I came home, and they lived they lived in the apartment block where I used to live, and uh, I went to tell my dad. And my dad, he took me and we went out. To, you know, these guys were like one year older than me, which back then is, is a huge difference. Yeah. But it's, you know, um, cause I was maybe 12 and they were 13 or 14 or something like that. So he went out to go find them and, um, he, he, he grabbed them and we were all, he put them in the elevator and me too. And we were with the four of us in the elevator. And as we were going up, he was starting to yell at them and saying, uh, they shouldn't touch me. And they started laughing, and my, my father basically bitch slapped both of them super hard, bah! you know, like uh, <laughs> how can you, you know, like a gong, you know, <laughs> and as as he um, as that happened, the two boys they left, and you know I kind of got revenge, but I also think looking back on that, it, it indirectly told me oh. I can't defend myself. I need my father to defend myself. Mm. And I think that had an impact on me on, uh, on, on how I looked at myself.
0: How would you see your change from, um, cause you were, would you say that living around your dad like this and, um, what were your interest as a boy and how did that change later? Can you trace that back? What, what made you feel alive when you were younger? Was it always dancing?
1: Hmm. It was always being creative, physically, physically being creative. That's what I was like. So I started with basketball, but I was into the and one mixtape basketball. Have you ever heard of that? And one mixtape?
0: Mm, no.
1: So it's like street ball. It's okay. basketball one on one, two, one, two, three, one, three on the street, but you do all kinds of tricks and you try to out trick your opponents by doing something, uh, by doing something and then confusing him and then scoring without him knowing because you're playing like ball tricks around him. That's called, in, in back then it was called and one. So I, I started doing that because you can get creative. And after that, I started doing breakdance, which is also, you learn the foundation, you learn the moves, but then you're trying to be creative and create tricks again to impress other people. So I was always physically creative. I remember just loving to go to the fields and just doing handstands and just having fun like that.
0: Um, yeah. Is there anything that you used to do then as a child, but then you found out you lost it from boyhood? Hmm. Or did you always keep up with, uh, with what you loved?
1: I think I was always a very happy and loud and outgoing person when I was when I was uh, when I was a little boy, and very extreme. I mean I remember when we would go on when we would go on vacation to Tunisia during the summer, I think I would be 10, 11, or 12. And we'd have the whole family. As I said, you have my grandfather and then six or seven, he had six or seven kids. They were all my uncles and nephews. And I would do like the stand-up routine in front of everybody in the evening. Where I would impersonate everybody and, and make a fool out of them. Basically, <laughs> I, would around, I would walk around like my grandfather, holding his belly, being fat and, and being full. Would feel like oh, you know, and then <laughs> I would impersonate my 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 aunt laying on the beach, trying to get a tan and being angry at me, like hey, go sit down, you know, and like laying back and trying to have a tan, things like that. And everybody enjoyed it. They were all laughing so hard. I was just always entertaining them. So I was always a very entertainment, outgoing kind of person. And I think breaking was a very good outlet for me. But I think as I got older, because of the hardship life can bring or because of the things we suppress, I feel that that sometimes left me a little bit, although it's it's definitely inside of me.
0: Well, you're very blessed to have Kept it going because most people lose it. Most people don't even look back. Somebody, um, my friend Andy, told me he said um, there was a famous painter who they asked him when did you start drawing, and uh, he asked the guy back, say when did you stop? Because we all have some forms of creativity and you know life giving. Skills that are beautiful and gives us give us life and as well as others, but most of us just lose it. Most of us just lose it. And that's a sad life. And then if we don't get back to this and reconnect, then we're just existing. We're not living. So that's that's pretty amazing. And um from the breakdancing, from the being creative with your body, you know, way of life, then you created this these huge events. What was remarkable about that? Like, could you believe that you've done that? Or did you always believe in yourself?
1: No, I definitely didn't think I would ever build something like that. It was just gradually. So Raw Circles, when it started, there were 30 breakdancers in a room just, just having ciphers, so circles, so, so just exchanging moves and dancing and, and circles. And in over a period of 10 years' time, it, it grew into one of the most notorious events in the world. I mean, I think from the past decades, it's one of the best events. They, they name it as one of the best events of the decade. Hmm. So that organically grew. I didn't think like I'm going to build the best kind of event that's ever been mm. Yeah. What what was the question again?
0: Um yeah, I mean, how did that affect you? Could you believe that you've done that? Or because it was gradual, I guess it, it you didn't just yeah, say, "Oh wow, I've done this."
1: Well, if I would go from 30 people in one room to 2000, that would really be overwhelmed, but it's 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 step by step by step. And you, you try something and you get good at it. And then like, oh, this is actually working. And then you try to go a level higher. And then, oh, this is working. And then you go a level higher. So gradually, we went up and up and up and up. And when I look back on it, it's one of the greatest achievements in my life. Uh, you uh, you know Sometimes I think, how the hell did I do that? Sometimes I pass by the hangar where I used to organize that. And it's like this huge hangar where they usually do Porsche events. And private insane parties and i went there and i you know and i persuaded the organizer to do the event there i remember when I, when i moved so i was doing my events in 2010 2011 and we had, we, we were getting notorious but the with the, the the venue where i was at was it was really it was not a great venue it, the, the, the music just stopped halfway the event i had international artists booked from all over the world coming to dance and just not professional So I started looking around for a new venue and I found this great venue at the sea, this really luxury yet raw kind of venue. And I would reach out to the guy and I said like, hey, I want to come and check out your venue. And he would just answer, I'm not interested. We're booked. (laughs) He didn't even know who I was. I said like, hey, let me in at least. Let let me come and show you what what I got. And he's like, okay, come over. And then he was walking me around. He says like, "Here's where the Porsche does their event." And you know, we had a thousand people over here. And then BMW came over here, and and then we had Gucci then, and blah blah blah. And you know, was, and then I come here like, "Hey, I want to do a breakdowns hip hop event." You know, we want to. But um, but then yeah, I got that whole venue full, and it was two thousand people. And I remember seeing the organizer, the 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 owner of the venue when I met him. You know. He, he didn't understand what he was seeing. He was like, What what the hell is going on here? You know, like all mm-hmm. these breakdancers from all over the world. But um yeah, there you go. That was that, that was that.
0: That's amazing. What was what does do you remember your, your dad's reaction when you were talking to him about this? When you first shared, you say, Hey dad, I've got this huge event. How did he react? Do you remember?
1: He didn't care. He didn't oh. care. He's like, Oh, great son. And then I would invite him to the event, and he would come for like two hours. He would walk in, he would It would look around. Not even two hours, like one hour, max, half hour. He'd be there, he'd look around a little bit. He, he would not be discerning, but he also wouldn't be, you know, excited. Didn't look like he had a proud face or on his face or excited. No, not not at all. You know, mm-hmm. and I try to put I try to put my family at work there. I had my I had a I had an uncle who's a cook, Italian cook. He would cook the food for everybody, and that's how I would make money. And then I'd I'd get my mom at the cash register in the beginning and maybe my sister to do wardrobe, kind of like a family. And my dad, he would just pass by and you just, yeah. It's kind of interesting you were saying that. I never even thought about that. Normally what you would do if you would have a son, he would organize an event with more than a thousand people. And by the way, this is breakdances. Yeah. I'm not talking about a soccer event or a, a nightclub event, which a thousand people is great, but, um, Compared to a breakdance event to get breakdancers, a super niche underground culture to get more than a thousand people in a room for that. I mean, what what I'm trying to pat myself on the back, but back then that was pretty extraordinary. Hmm. Yeah. To then just come in and see your son and be like, okay, great. 30 minutes. I'm out of here. That is kind of weird. I never thought about that. So there's a
0: reason for that. You know, there's a reason for that. Who knows what was going on in, in his subconscious? Not so much the conscious mind. Yeah, it seems like the burdens that we put on our children, and we all do, um, is like a bottomless pit, really. So let's say you want your kid to be successful, he's probably never going to be successful enough to please you. Uh, that's and, and you published something about leadership, which is very... Um, I just just came to me now, you know, something on Facebook. What was that? You That was profound. So if you remember it, there's something about leaders trying to please their... The fathers or mothers, and and then all these things manifesting into their their life, and and he said they would have been very different leaders if they had the approval of their fathers. Do you remember that?
1: Uh, around impact, yes, believing that you have impact or no impact. Yeah. So the so I remember thinking about wanting to be like my heroes, thinking, oh, I want to be like this person or this idol or or, or this guy but will I ever become like that? Will I ever have the impact that they have? And I, this came to me when I was in what I call an expression session, trademark. I still need to change the name because it sounds really whack, but that's kind of the, the, the way that I name it. So this basically I put on some music and I just dance without looking, without trying to focus on the moves. You know, when you're when you're dancing and you're doing salsa or you're doing something, most people, they learn the moves but they forget that it's a dance. The the moves are just an extension of your expression. Most people use the moves as the basic thing, but it's just just a tool to express your soul. So I have this idea around, after I've danced for 15 years, I said, I want to dance without limits. I just want to dance how I feel. If I feel music and I want to swing my arm left and go down and whatever, I just want to go what my soul is expressing and not necessarily use this move, use this move, use this move to dance. So as I'm doing that, it feel like I was really connecting to myself. And then I thought, like, oh, cause I was writing a speech and I was thinking like, oh, that's, I hope it's going to be great. I want to have impact like these others. And I thought, like, well, do you think you have less impact than these people? Everything is connected. When you drop a water, when you drop a drop of water in a pool creates ripples that goes beyond way further than what you can imagine. The father, who has more power, Alexander the Great or the father of Alexander the Great? Probably Alexander, uh, probably the father has more impact than Alexander the Great because the father, the way the father was towards Alexander the Great made him who he was, made him into the conqueror he was. If, If his father was more loving, then Alexander the Great would probably not have been such a vicious conqueror. And that's what we don't understand. That our impact, we could be impacting the next world leader. Hmm. That, you know, we could be the father of the next world leader or the best friend, or in some kind of in some kind of way connected to somebody who's really big. So everything is connected. Your impact matters. You need to take responsibility for your actions because you, being a lousy person, may impact that person who will go beyond and become that huge pop star or that great political leader or a great artist. That's that's how I see how we should be aware how everything is one to some degree at least.
0: Mm, wow, that's profound. That's I love that. That is so true. So then you had these huge things going on for you. You must have felt pretty good about yourself. What did that give you in terms of Not so much in terms of being, because then I don't know how how conscious we are when we're that young and we're achieving things. Uh, But did that increase your drive? Yeah, definitely to do more. Hmm.
1: Yes, it gave me a sense of purpose. Without even thinking, I was just constantly in movement, doing all kinds of things, and I wasn't even. And I thought that's how life was. (laughs) You know, like oh, you just you organize events, you travel, you dance, you meet up with people, you have a community. Uh, you try, you, you, you do some projects. So it definitely gave me a sense of purpose, a sense of drive, and a sense of aliveness.
0: These things are really good by themselves. But, you know, very often we're too young to discern whether or not they're coming from a broken place. So, you know, when you're young, a bit like drinking and eating bad foods, when you're young, anything goes. But then if something is wrong with you, or as you get older, you start to become more, more sensitive. So, um, you didn't become sensitive then as to, whether or not there was something negative or they were coming, at least in part. And I'm not dismissing the legitimate talents and the gifts. It, it's so wonderful, but it's how we use it. And then in your speech, which we'll come to, you talk a lot about what happened to you in London. And it's, it's like you did time in London. <laughs> it's, it's like you were in prison there. It's like you lost something there, uh, but you were set up. It seems like you were set up for that loss by gaining this momentum, which on the, which by itself, it wasn't bad. So would you say that? by the time you set your face towards London, um, would you say that part of you at least was rooted in this desire, which you talked about in the speech to, to make things happen out of a broken place? When did you become aware of that?
1: I became aware of that after working for five years, nonstop morning till evening, Every day, coffee, barely any relaxation, constantly behind the screen. Trying to build my skills, trying to build up status. And in those five years, two years of that were me building a social media agency. And then three years or three and a half years, well, three years in London. Until I had a suicidal thought. That's when I started understanding that something was off i I didn't know what the answer was i didn't know how to get rid of it but i do remember one quote that stuck with me which was when someone contemplates suicide it's not that he wants to kill himself it's that he wants to kill his identity so that will be the moment where i start understanding that something wasn't right Although I wasn't aware that it was from a broken self, but I knew that I had to change something about
0: myself. Hmm. So prior to London, you're very positive, you're thinking just gonna go and conquer you know conquer the world and achieve these great things. And then you came to London, worked very hard for a few years, and symptoms started to manifest. And you talked about this in in, in the speech, which I highly recommend that people watch. So what was it like? What was it like being on the top of your world? Because, you know, you were, you still, how old were you when you, when you felt I've achieved all these things in London now? And which is, by the way, a different country. It's not even your, your country. That's, that's must have made you feel, wow. How old were you then?
1: When I started working in London or once I started or when I left?
0: When you were uh, at the peak of that time without feeling yet the negative, um, results.
1: How old was I then? probably 28 or something 29 28 29 30
0: something like wow. that. Wow. Okay. Wow. So you must have felt to at the top of your game then. Life was good. In London? Hm. Mm.
1: No, I felt like shit. You know when I was dancing, that's when I felt at the top of my game. Wow. When I was, you know, there was uh-huh. no money involved. There, there there was no money involved and the moment I had had to start making money and monetize my my expression, my dance which I couldn't, that's when all the problems started because I didn't know what I had to do next, how I had to make money because it was very strange for me to go from being a top dancer internationally and being known, not making any money to then going and working, doing a normal job and doing a nine to five. But the problem was I didn't have any valuable skills that the world would pay me good money for. So I had to go and build skills that were monetizable. I could have been a I could have been a dancer and try to live from that, but I, I I always think that would have been a hard life. So first I, based on what I did with raw circles, my events, which didn't make any money at all because I made it all about the community, I tried using those skills. You know the way I learned how to organically bring in two thousand people to then help clients in an agency to do the same thing. But it was a it was a very it was it was hard it was a hard sell. So I, although I was on top of the game in London, I believed that everything was going great, because on the outside I was. I mean, I was surrounded by these big names. Um,
0: we when you look at your Facebook followers. page, that's what it looks like.
1: <laughs> the great facade, yeah, exactly. So, you know, meeting meeting all these meeting all these great people, and being in London. And working for a company that has huge reach, incredible reach, and being one of the key team members, so I thought, how can life be not good? You know, mm-hmm. like this is supposed to be amazing, and I wasn't listening to it. I was suppressing it, not believing it until I had those extreme thoughts, those suicidal thoughts. Before that, I thought I always told myself, "Oh, everything is going great. Yeah, it's hard, but just push through. It's not your first time pushing through, so just keep pushing. You can do this. Feels like shit, but you know." There will be an end of the uh, there will be an uh, a light at the end of the tunnel, but just keep going
0: hmm, which brings me to something very interesting which um I didn't know I was gonna address this, but of course I think I should <laughs> the inner chat we talked about this together and isn't it interesting <coughs> how when you sort of push yourself just to feel better and you know just work a bit harder and after a few years, not only did some darkness manifest, but it was actually pretty extreme because most of about you, your existence you're living sounds like pretty good. And yet suddenly suicide. I mean, that's pretty extreme, wouldn't you say? It's not like you're living um, this horrible life. Quite the opposite. And yet it seems like there was a big rift between you and the person who, at least part of the person who actually you are inside. And the other person was was telling you, stop, slow down, I can't take it anymore. And you say, no, keep pushing. And then suddenly desire to die came up. Yeah. That's very interesting. What did that look like? What did you do with that?
1: Well, first I just suppressed it more.
0: That's you what know? we all do, yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I, I didn't know what to do with it, you know, it was always there. So the first time I had that thought, it, it was a pretty strong kind of thought in my mind, and then I was like, Oh just you know, just push it away and then and then try to Uh, then try to relax a little bit, but just keep doing my thing. But it would always be in the back of my mind, you know, like why did I have that thought? You know, it was not like, it wasn't, I must kill myself. I must kill myself. I must kill myself. It's not like that, but it was always remembering that moment. Remember that moment when you had that thought? Why? And that kept lingering for weeks. You know, it was like every day I thought about it once or twice. Like, why would I think that? Why would I think that? Okay. Just suppress it, suppress it, suppress it. And The climax kind of happened when I went to a a music festival in London with three other friends. And some friends offered me some ecstasy. And uh, I just wanted to, I thought like, why not? You know, like, uh, I felt like shit. I didn't know what to do. I just wanted to have some fun. So I'm like, all right, just give it to me. And as I I take the ecstasy and I wait for half hour and I think I'm going to start feeling good, That's when that same image, so the first time I had a suicidal thought, I had an image of me hanging from my neck. And when I did the ecstasy, I was in the middle of a crowd with, you know, a a DJ. So there there was this DJ that we were waiting for that I really liked. And we were kind of in the middle at the front of this festival. People surrounded everywhere. There's this DJ, he's just about to do his thing. Everybody's jumping and it's, it's the climax or it's one of the climaxes, light show, it's a little bit dark. And then when it's supposed to be fun in that moment, the ecstasy, It's I, I'm feeling it in my body and I should be getting this love and ecstatic ecstasy bliss kind of feeling like uh, orgasmic. But what happens instead is I see myself hanging from my neck again. It just confronts me again. And it's right in front of me. And now I it, I couldn't seem to suppress it. I couldn't seem to say, I just want to party. It was just, it was in front of me. And what started happening was, I saw a second me in my imagination in front of me. I saw myself hanging from my neck and I saw a second me like a clone walk up to me and, and pull me down from from my neck and we would sit down and we would start talking against each other. We would say like, why are you doing this? What, what's going on? What is this suicidal thought? I mean, if you see me in life, like I told you, when I was young, I was entertaining my, my family in Tunisia. I was always this upbeat, positive entertainment type of guy. I was the last person you would think to have these kind of thoughts. Because usually when you think of somebody who has suicidal thoughts, it's usually these an emo kind of artist who's already self-loathing, feels kind of bad for himself. That was kind of my archetype or stereotype of the people who get suicidal thoughts. I wouldn't understand why they would have that. And yet it happened to me, and I really didn't understand why. And that made me incredibly sad. So when I started communicating with myself in that moment, I started understanding that I am somebody who is always expressing myself and I and I couldn't express myself anymore for the last 5 years it was a complete suppression of expression when I was dancing I was on stage every week I was battling I was showing my moves to crowds I was dancing in circles I was I was going out I was talking to a lot of people I was creating moves I was organizing events I was bringing people together I was On a constant rush of expressing myself in all kinds of way, and I didn't inhibit myself. I even I was super extreme. When you saw me in a battle, I was straight in your face, and that was my way of expression. I loved it, you know, because in the moment that was hard, but afterwards I, you know, let's go and have a drink, let's go relax, you know, because that's that's how I have fun. That's how I get out there. But for the last once, I stopped doing that and started looking for something new to to build. I lost touch with that piece and I didn't understand how important it is to express yourself. And all I did, I went from being somebody who was on the stage and who was constantly in this mode of creativity to working behind the scenes, having nobody to connect with or nobody to get appreciation from than my boss, who was a a narcissistic leader, basically, and didn't give me any appreciation which i mean again like it's not all his fault I, I was there and i chose to be there so the both of us just made a, a a nuclear fusion i was probably narcissistic myself in that way so i'm not trying to blame him in, in, in any kind of way but that that moment was was definitely um th- those years were were, <laughs> were hiroshima you know like it was, it was, it was insanity <laughs> so what i realized was this the not me hanging from my neck was a symbol for suppression, Hmm. for not being able to express myself. Because when I would come to work, I would have to wear a certain dress code that I wasn't used to, wear suits that when you're in the breakdance world, you completely despise that. You know, like you laugh at those kind of people. Now I'm wearing suits. (laughs) Um, I, I, I couldn't swear at work.
0: Oh my! When you when you when you're
1: in when you're when you're, in the, when you're, when you're a break dancer, it's like fuck this motherfucker. Yeah, what's up? What are you gonna do? Come on, bitch! Yeah, show me what you got. I don't give a shit. You know, when you listen to the music we listen to, all the hip hop, it's like fuck this, shit that, bitch this. You know, and all of a sudden, I can't say I can't. I gotta talk. I can't swear. You know, N- never. And I I gotta behave a certain way. And I couldn't from my work when I worked there. I also, I couldn't go out and do any other projects. You know, when you work in this company, you only work for this company and you can't do anything else beside from that. That was kind of cool when you were there. But I was so mesmerized. I was in this trance that I was working for such a great company that was such a big opportunity that I would allow that to happen to myself. And I realized that in that moment, as in for too long, you have not been able to... Express yourself and maybe this is a great opportunity. Maybe you're at the point of your game and a lot of people respect you for where you are, but it's not working for you. And you don't know what the answer is, but you're gonna have to keep looking or something so bad is gonna happen.
0: Wow, are oh, you're lucky to realize that. Do you remember just out of curiosity and that just me being weird, do you remember um, the person who was hanging and, and the other person who approached him, you know, both expressions of you, was one of them younger than the other or, or were, we were they the same. the same age
1: it was just it was just me, me versus me
0: hmm wow that's that's a good thing I think so moving on, what happened just walk us through what happened you were at this at this stage, you reached the top, but then there was the news and then you realized what happened. so tell us more about what happened.
1: After the festival, I wanted to take a vacation to think it over because I still haven't made a decision. It's just said, like you gotta do something else, but okay, but what do I gotta do? So I went on a week vacation. Keep in mind I didn't take a vacation for more than a year. And as I asked for a vacation to my company, they wouldn't give it to me. But wow. I, I you know, I stood my ground and I say, I am taking my vacation whether you want to or not. I'm out of here, you know, for just a week, just a week. So I went, I went back to, I remember I went back to stay in Belgium with my mother and I slept every day, 12 hours, no joke. Hmm. Every day I slept 12 hours. So I would go to sleep, sleep 10 hours. And then, and then at at noon I would take a nap of two hours or something like that. (laughs) I would do that for every day. And I was just, in, in a ruse, uh, brain fog. I couldn't think. So for six days, I was just trying to relax. Mm. And then on the last day, or the, at least the day before I took my train, I'm like, all right, you gotta make a decision here. We can't just go back to the, to this. So I started contemplating, oh, maybe I can work part-time and go from, you know, work from Belgium, and then maybe still be there and still be connected to this great opportunity, or maybe I'll do it like this, do it like this. It's like my mind was trying to find any type of way to continue to struggle, continue the pain. Hmm. But then I thought, you had a suicidal thought. What else do you need to get to understand that this is not your place? Get the fuck out of here. Just get out of here. What are you waiting for? And I'm like, geez, I'm so stupid. Yeah. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. who cares if if this is such, uh, if, if I think this is a great opportunity. If I am not living my way or if I'm not, ha- I'm not if, if my well-being is not great, if I'm not at peace, why then? What, what does it matter? What's, what's, what's the value in that? So I, what I basically did was I put in my notice for three months. And I said, and I was being a good guy. so like, I'm going to give my nose for three months instead of just getting out of there. But because I, I try to be such a good person, I said, OK, I'm going to give my nose for three months. And I stayed there for three months. And actually, during that period of time, that's when I started building my new business, which was um, which kind of happened without me even realizing. So that was kind of a gift in itself. Mm-hmm. That they didn't realize uh, I had somebody who was interested in me coaching him because he knew about my background at London Real. so for those three months every month i found one new client which by the way for anybody listening if you're thinking about starting your own business or becoming a coach that's how i did it and that's how i would recommend it keep your job and then at the decides what i did was i uh, in the first month i was looking for one client i closed my first client in my second month before i left i coached The first client and i searched for the second client and i found them and then in the third month i was coaching two clients still doing the full-time job and i found my third client and i had some money saved and by the time i left my coaching business was operational i had enough money because the clients i had they they were so happy with my work i think two of them i had a a contract of a year with them so i had some type of consistent revenue and i had some money that i had saved from from my job so But I didn't even realize this until 18 months later. I just, I couldn't feel anything. I just, Mm -hmm. you know, this was the thing I actually worked for. This was the reason, this was what I wanted. I wanted to have a job or some type of work that I was good at, that I enjoyed, that was remote, and that paid me enough to only work a couple of days a week. And I created the lifestyle finally that I wanted, but I wasn't even happy. No, I couldn't even feel it. So after that, I, I traveled for a while, um, and I met our mutual friend, John Richards, and I gave a speech somewhere on knockout marketing, and that's when that's when it really started turning. You know, he, he kind of started introducing me to a world that I wasn't aware of, hmm. a world of healing, which I, I didn't know. Bef- I knew how to push. I knew how to suppress how I would make something happen in the past was if I have a habit and I want to change it, I just push myself to do the next habit. Oh, yeah, I want to stop watching porn. Okay, just force yourself not to watch porn. You know? Oh, you wanna work, you wanna work, you wanna get thin, force yourself not to eat certain things. Those types of things. And then and then I got introduced to the world of healing, which was a path where by doing hard, sharp Short-term work, you actually have long-term benefits that feel effortless without any without any trying where you can create the habits and the life that you want to work towards that feels automatic.
0: And then you realize how much your past has affected you, as it does all of us, But um, which is the exciting bit, and I want to get to this. But prior to this, right, we, we're just this threshold now. You're stepping into the real world of the soul and you know, of truth. Um, but before that now when you encounter all these hurdles try to make all these decisions and encounter all these um, brick walls many times did it ever occur to you to think um what would my father do in this situation or what would he say did you ever have that
1: not one second no never Hmm. who i would seek refuge to is um my best friends so I had two or three friends that I would call and I would, I would, I would explain them the situation. And then we would go back and forth on what would be a great way to move forward. But in not one instance, would I ever think about my father? Mm-mm. Which maybe will was strange because it's kind of a, a, an honest and logical question to ask that. Like, what would my father do? Like My father would just stay home and say, <laughs> oh, I'm going to give up, you know? Yeah. So, and maybe that's why I never thought about it because, Maybe I didn't want to be like my father, a guy who would always give up. So I'm like, I'm not giving up. I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to keep making it happen. I'm going to prove myself. Until the suicide thought, then it was like, this is stupid. But yeah, in no in no moment was I thinking about what would my father do? No.
0: Yeah, you were charging ahead. And then you met John. And then you started looking into into things and you found out some of what this charging this energy that empowered this discharge was about do you want to tell us a bit more about this or just walk us through what happened when you met john or in terms of in any way you want to take this uh not so much in terms of what happened on the outside but what was happening inside the view and and when you started seeing more of the world inside of you
1: so after the work after the work or just where where do you want me to take it you want me to to take it from meeting John Richards or what yes. I, what did you mean with feeling inside
0: when John introduced you to more what happened then inside of you like what were you hmm. thinking like because you found out about some of this drive i remember it's in it's in the speech isn't it you know about you and you embodying some of your your dad's burdens
1: so what i realized was when I met John Richards, first of all, I gave a speech somewhere, and this weird guy walked up. To, well, he was not weird, but he walked up to me, but he looked suspicious. <laughs> I always describe him as a mixture between an English hooligan and a Greek philosopher. You know, he's always <laughs> laughing when I say that. But he's kind of walking up to me, he says like, "Hey, Alexander, I want you to come to my half-day retreat. Will you come in my hometown?" I'm like, "Ah, oh, sure, I'll come." You know, I wasn't really doing a lot at that time, and I mean, I was very, I was, I was grateful that he wanted me to be there. You know, so as suspicious as he might look with his (laughs) ponytail, you know? So, uh, (laughs) and he shaved (laughs) shaved hair on the side. So I would go to his retreats and he would do his thing. He would tell stories and ask questions. And one of the questions he asked was, what did you inherit from your background? And I remember my father always being hard on me. I remember going to school, always having great grades and when I was 15 years old I came back with a report card everything was great but one subject had a four out of ten so I failed for the first time in I don't know how many years never and he looked at that and he says oh you're failing okay it's it was Christmas it were the Christmas holidays and he said you're you know you're grounded for two weeks you can't go out you can't see your friends you can't do anything you just stay inside the house Next time you do better, and that for me kind of gave the, the the feeling of my father saying, "You're not good enough." But when I look back on it, he never told me when I was good enough. He only emphasized the moments where I wasn't good enough, and I inherited this kind of, you know, this this this. I remember asking my father what his, what his uh, biggest regret was and he said I always wanted to be an important man in his life but I couldn't because I had to take care of, of you of my kids and you know that, that's fine but you know that's what I always wanted to be and he was always pushing me and always ha- hardening me and wanting to me to be better and wanting to me to be big and he, he would always have this quote he says if that guy can do it you can do it too If that guy can do it, why not you? You got it. You know, go. And John would then ask another question. He would say, what's your biggest fear in life? And I remember writing down one sentence. That I will not become an important man in this life. I took on the biggest fear of my father. I realized that my biggest fear, what was driving me the most, was not even something I decided myself. It was baggage from my father. When I was pushing hard at the reel, when I was never wanting to give up, because maybe my father would say, oh, I give up. When I drove myself to suicidal thoughts, it was because I was trying to be an important man, like my, fa- my father reflected on me. And that was a huge insight because I never thought to that moment that my father had any impact on me. (laughs) I thought always that he was there, but he wasn't there. So he's not in my life, you know? So yeah, you can be there, but I'm just gonna do me and you do you. And then I saw that the biggest wound I had was actually from him. And at that point, I was with seven other people in the room and I broke down in tears, literally, as hard as I ever cried in my life. And I couldn't stop it. It was, <laughs> I, I, I was never a spiritual man at that time. Yeah. So whenever you say spirituality or, or the universe or God or whatever, I didn't know anything about that. And, and I'm still very undereducated on all those topics. But it was like a beam you know, like, and like, ah, I would, I, I could feel like this force. And it was the, I had to cry because all the pain came out of me. And it was this grander force, you know, that's, it sounds so weird, because, you know, if you would have told me from that day, my whole life, 30 years of that, if you would ever told me something like that, just like, get the hell out of here. You know, What kind of story is that? You know, but it was like, I felt like this force. And it was Coming out of me it was just, I had to get rid and express all that pain. So I just started crying, 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 crying. And as I as I, as I started doing that, John was asking me, uh, what's going on? You know, what's happening? And and I was trying to explain it. I was like, well, you know, and my father and I really, and I wanted to, you know, and I, I would just stop and just pause and I would try not to cry for 15 seconds. I'm going like, to come on, man up, man up, man up. You're, you're, you're a public speaker. I can't find your words. You know, what, what, how ridiculous is that? And I couldn't. I, I mean, I couldn't speak without trying to cry. I mean, that's, that's when my moment of revelation kind of happened. And that's when John said to me, look, you think you're driven. But driven is usually associated with an emotion to be driven by fear. And you think you're driven, but you're being driven by your father. You want to impress him. It's only when you get rid of that and you create space, that's when you will become drawn. Drawn by love instead of being driven by fear. And you're going to have to slay your father inside your mind to get there. And I think those five minutes were... Probably top three nuggets of the last decade for me when I got that kind of information. It hit me at the right point. It was what, just when I when I had to hear it at the moment when it mattered. Yeah. And I broke down. And that's when I needed some consolation. And that's when he's, he said that. And that's basically what my whole speech is built around. Because that was so powerful. I mean, just driven by fear, drawn by love. It's just... Hmm. It is, it is an axiom. It is an angle, a way of looking at life that makes so much sense to me.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. That's, I can relate to many aspects of what you share. Isn't it interesting now, looking back, because you were a successful guy prior to this moment and you were still young, and how many people out there are achieving these great things for the good of the world, not bad things, not evil things. We're not talking about dictators. And yet, they're driven. They're driving themselves because they're driven from the baggage of their past. They're thinking, oh, well, I've dealt with my father wound or whatever, you know. Uh, or they don't even know about that concept, the father wound. Um, but how much of that is just driven? I can just see it. I can see it in really good people. Uh, and Some of them I actually follow on the internet because they have wonderful ideas. But I'm thinking, man, what comes... Through that screen, it's there's a lot of good and wonderful talents, but how you use it in service of, of that self-hatred and driving the self um, is a lot of this. But um, another thing I wanted to say, because it's can, like... Can
1: I say something about that? Yeah, yeah go. It's, it's like when you've done this work, when you've gone through the inner work yourself, when you take the time to actually go in and either slay the father or the mother or whatever it is you have to do and you go through the work and you get out on the other end, it's like you get the sixth sense, cent- not a sixth sense, but you get to see it in other people where you couldn't see it before. Somebody can just say one sentence yeah. and you can just see it trickle down all the things like, I know I should relax, but you know I'm just going to keep going or hey, I'm a little bit tired. When they say it, things like that, you can just see the whole yeah. iceberg behind you know like you when you see the tip of the iceberg and then the, the whole thing under the water yeah. you can just see it and i remember in my i i when when i was doing dream work with john because mm-hmm. john told me to write down my dreams and interpret my dreams one of the dreams i used to have was i used to have a dream where i would come in contact with this beautiful woman a se- seducive seduction you know, so just beautiful Hot, she would come up to me and she would say, I have a contract for you. Do you want to fight Alistair Overeem in the UFC? Like this heavyweight, heavyweight <laughs> kind of guy, you know, heavyweight class, like the guy would knock out punch power, knock out punch power. Um, yeah, and I would say, Yes, of course, I'll do it. Let's go. And I would sign a contract and then I would, I would walk away and I would think, Wait a second. I'm going to get knocked out in 10 seconds. What the hell am I doing? I got to get out of this. So that as I would run back towards the woman, she's, she's with her back towards me. And I would just say, Hey, hey, um, you know, I want to say something to you. And then she would turn around and it would be this fat, ugly woman. And it would make me think of the the saying when, when it rears its ugly head, hmm. you know, you know that saying? Yeah. Weird ugly heads It was like that. It was like boom. And it was this ugly. I said, like I was trying to get out of contract. Yeah, but you know, um, I, I'm gonna get knocked out of this. is You can't, you have to do it, you have to do it, you can't, yeah. But I don't I don't wanna do it. And then they would send out this tall guy with a knife to come um to come threaten me and say, like, you have to do it, and I would run away and I'd have to do the fight. And long story short, what that dream went for me was. The beautiful woman is temptation. It's the temptation in life, the temptation to go out and cheat on your girlfriend or not even, you know, like just to to go to bed, randomly go to bed with a woman. It's to create great success. It's to take a lot of drugs. It's to focus on just making money. It's to cheat on somebody, maybe financially to get gain for yourself. Temptation. That was that. And I I couldn't see through it. And lately, I've been having dreams. I mean, I lately had a dream where I would be in a conversation and I would see an idol of mine, a guy that I would, an entrepreneur who's very famous. Probably if I would say the name, you would instantly know him. But, you know, I'm not going to do that to him. (laughs) So I I would see him and he would look all beat down, and old and wrinkly, and just it was like the life was sucked out of him. But he mm. wanted to talk to me and he was ugly and he and he looked and and he was talking to me. And he was there was a, this was a guy I wanted to be like. <laughs> I, mean, I wanted to be like him, but it was like now I could see through who he was.
0: Wow,
1: he was this entrepreneur who is creating a facade of this is how you should live life. You know, this is how work hard and you will make it. And maybe one year ago, I would see him clean. I would see him energized and good looking and all that. But now it's like I could see through it because I could see what this drive is, who he has to become in order to achieve these things. And I could just see it. And as I woke up, it's like, I've learned how to see through temptation. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not like, I am Buddha and I'm going to do everything perfectly. But it's like I could see that with somebody where I couldn't see it before. As you were talking about, so many people are driven and they're not even aware of it. But if you haven't gone through that work yourself, you can't be aware of it. But that's that's what I see now. And I, I thought it was just interesting. And I want to share my dreams with you for a second.
0: Well, you have more dreams to share.
1: <laughs> well you like my dreams?
0: <laughs> well whatever, whatever you wanna yeah. Um
1: yeah, I have dreams to share, but maybe which one, you
0: know? No, I didn't understand. I thought you meant now you, you wanted to share more. So whatever, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um but just to comment on this, um it's like there there was not enough of you to see all these things, you know. And again, you know, most of the work is you know it's integration. And when there is connection to more parts of yourself then there's more of you including more mental capacity more discernment more spiritual um power whatever presence and then of course when you you see in the luck in other people but which brings me to a very exciting thing you know uh, we often talk about the child inside and you if you don't mind me sharing this which probably you won't because you open about everything so I need in fact I have to hold you back a bit <laughs> it's uh do you remember when we we're talking about the inner child and you were you were going through through some inner integration and then you were, if you don't mind me sharing some of that for yourself just so you can remember you had this habit of running I don't know 10 kilometers or something do you remember that yeah, 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 yeah. do you want to share that story so I don't have to share it for you
1: yeah so before what I would do is I would go out and run and I would try to hit my numbers, whether it's eight kilometers or nine kilometers or 10 kilometers. And I would just push without relaxation because it was all about the numbers. And as I was going through the work and I started unpacking more of of this drive and all these types of things, what would start happening was I would usually go run in the woods. And at certain points when I was running, there would be the sun would come out and it would be extremely beautiful. And there would be this nice landscape and these trees and a field and it would be a plane. And I said, wow, let me just stop and enjoy this view for a second. But on the one hand, I would usually always be like, no, no you got to run. You, you got you to gotta win the time. The, uh, this time we ran... For one hour, for this much, the next time we need to run 56 minutes. So we need to make sure we're always beating our time. But right now, but right then I said, like, well, well, what's the point of that? Why not just wait and walk a little bit longer? And yeah, maybe my time will be longer, but let me just enjoy this moment. Let me enjoy the moment just walking and having this. What's all this running all for anyway? Hmm. And then throughout that run, my run would be longer, but I would enjoy it a lot, a lot, a lot more. Instead of trying to look at the time, I said, "I'll just lo- I'm just going to look at the distance. If I want to do ten kilometers, just make just do your ten kilometers. The time doesn't really matter. But if you feel like you want to stop and enjoy, enjoy it. And I wouldn't do that before. Before I would only just push. Make sure you run. Make sure you burn your calories. Make sure you beat your time. And yeah, that that uh, that evolved more into a balance, a balance between." push and pull, or push and fun, and trying to have both of them.
0: Well, that's integration, isn't it? In the West, we're very good at um, just building these different compartments. Now, here is when I'm fit, here is when I'm driven, here is when I rest, but you're not whole, including people like, because I do a lot of work within the church, and it's like you have sacred and secular life. People literally wear different faces. (laughs) It's, It's madness, you're supposed to be whole, right? But and that's what I'm most passionate about, as you know. And what's really interesting about that that day is that in the evening you send me this picture of um of a chocolate, which you wouldn't eat before, like ever, almost. And but I said, no, you have to celebrate, you know, because remember, there's a part of you that is strong and part of you that is that child that is boy, you need to move towards. And and you just had this chocolate, had a wonderful time. Um, which is amazing. Talk about integration. And and you even shared that um through this getting closer to the boy inside of you you actually became more creative and you put this into your business which is i want to talk to the people the people who listen who who want to be who are ambitious and they want to build something and they and they're afraid that oh if i start getting too spiritual or um turning towards god or towards myself to be too much then i'm gonna lose my drive well alex is a picture of how not to lose your drive in fact go and check out the speech because um the very Part of himself that he had lost in order to become successful that he's now reconnected with. That part makes him more successful with less effort. Am I right in saying that? It's like that dream creativity that, that it comes from the subconscious anyway. And you still have the strength to push hard when you need to push hard. But now there's a lot more of you. And I just want to encourage all people out there that are sort of afraid of this work that's not gonna make you less successful, It's gonna make you more and uh and you Alex now you're not working as much as before but you're probably far more successful than in terms of your whole life wouldn't you say that including your business
1: yeah so as we're as we're recording and talking we're we're at the ends of 2020 which is which has not <laughs> been a great year but business-wise <laughs> for me it has been my best year and I'm working the, 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 le- the least amount of hours I've ever done. So in that in those terms, I mean, this, obviously, it's also accumulation of experience and knowing what you need to do and all those other things. But I, yeah, I could easily just work for work's sake and find ways to fill up my time with work. But I choose my opportunities more carefully now. So um, correct. And I would want to add on to that with you said in terms of becoming more successful as as you become more creative. The people that were following me on Facebook, I went went through a period where I was testing out content and you could actually visibly see the change when I was doing the work. At a certain point, I was recording videos, I had this black boring t-shirt and I was very boringly Talking on social media about social media about mm. how you should get, you know do this do that do this I didn't have that much engagement you know like I had some likes and a couple of comments but nothing too much and as, as I start doing the work I had a couple of sessions particularly one session that was incredibly strong and I remember talking to John Richardson he says this coming week you're going to feel a surge of creativity it has happened with all my clients it will happen with you too be on the lookout for it. And at this point, I was already m- making content more and more, but I wasn't getting that well of uh, feedback to my to, for for my opinion. And it was in that week that I had for myself a groundbreaking idea that that changed the game for me, which was this voice that I have that is saying why don't you relax? Or why don't you go have fun? Or why don't you be creative? That voice, we're suppressing it the whole time. And we know it's there, and it's talking to you. But we're not listening to it. What if I could be that voice inside your head that we all have, and I will speak and say the things that you hear, but are not that that you have, but you're not listening to them? Yeah, so all the things that would that that, that um, you know that you hate this job, but you're not doing anything about it, or all these things. I basically the idea that I had was if you ever watched Fight Club, yeah. I'm sure you did. You know about Tyler Durden. Yeah. So Tyler Durden is the voice inside of Edward Norton's head. And mm. I had thought, what if I could be the Tyler Durden for the viewer? You see Tyler Durden, you think you, you know, Tyler Durden is real, but he's actually just a voice in your head. What if you're going to see me on video and you listen to me and you think you're watching me, but actually I created in such a way that actually you're just listening to yourself. Mm-hmm. And then I was thinking, OK, who is who if I'm just Tyler Durden and if or if I would be that for myself, if I would be the voice for myself, that would be Tyler Durden. Then I'm suppressing. Who would that person be? Oh, he'd probably be really he'd be like crazy and he, he wouldn't give a fuck. he would be funny and he would be on edge and he would challenge you but he would be a friend he would challenge you in a friendly way just like Tyler Durden i mean i went back and i watched the movie and i was just looking at how he would do things and that's when i had that idea and i said i want to make a video like this and i wrote the script in one go basically went out and recorded it i had so much fun recording it i was literally i'm not joking literally Rolling over the floor, laughing because it was so fun. <laughs> and then, as I edited and I created this video, I looked at the video. I was laughing. I was so happy. But I thought to myself, nobody's going to take this serious. Who's going to look at this? You know, this. I'm being stupid. I'm being real, but I'm not sure. So, I mean, I, I must have sent it to ten people to ask for permission. Yeah, hey, what do you think of this? Should I post this? And they're like, "Go! It's great. Do it. Haha, funny! Blah 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 blah." So I post a video. And if you would go to my Facebook wall, I'm not making this up. It literally had 10x engagement before what I did before, literally. 10 times as much comments and 10 times as much as, you know, the likes and the shares and all those types of things. And obviously, I'm not trying to promote that likes, comments, and shares is your measuring stick for life, you know, because that's something you can drown into very quickly. But it is a way of watching whether your content is engaging or not or if you're doing something right. And from that moment on, every video I created had the same amount of engagement, minimum, when I when I allowed myself to become tired
0: <laughs> Shadow work, right? I'm very big on the shadow work because whatever we suppress can never be part of life. Anyway, so that's a totally different thing. But um, I'm aware of the time, Alex, because I don't even look at the time when we talk. So um, have you still got some time? Or sure.
1: we, Well, yeah, if you want to slowly round it up, that's good. Yeah.
0: Um, the last thing quickly if you wanted to say about um well you shared this interesting dream about the lion meeting your the lion inside do you wanna say a few words about this? Because that's interesting and I don't want to leave this behind. Even though this is part of your speech. So whoever sees your speech, they're gonna say that anyway.
1: Hmm.
0: But it's very interesting about that lion.
1: Yeah, let me give you let me give you a dream. So This is basically the dream. I'm walking with a lion and a tiger in my childhood forest. And as I'm doing this in the distance, I see a couple of pirates on driftwood and they're carrying two lions with them on a a different piece of driftwood with them, like they're smuggling them. And I see this through binoculars. I shoot and kill the pirates. And the two lions come ashore and they start racing towards me, racing towards me, very hungry. And I am afraid. I am very afraid. But just at the moment when they're about to jump me, they stop. And they meet my lion and tiger. And there's a moment of silence. They stare at each other. And then they join the two lines, join my lion and tiger. And we keep walking. And that's the end of the dream.
0: Wow. What was the difference inside of yourself after this, um, after after you had the interpretation for the dream, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: after this integration? Because it sounds like it was a dream of integration in many ways.
1: Yeah.
0: What changed?
1: Something opened up within me that I I wasn't aware that was even there. Which was love. Hmm.
0: Interesting. Just a quick. I love to jump in. Isn't it interesting how, with men, the lion, the strength, uh, opens up the way to love. <laughs> Isn't it interesting because it shouldn't. It should be about fierceness, but it's not. When you have that fierceness, there's more room to love. Interesting. That's yeah, okay. That's just me being. um But yeah, yeah carry
1: on. And, yeah, but you're right. And the thing is, I I I I always thought I knew what love was. I always I always thought, oh yeah, yeah, love, love, love. But I never. I was always kind of afraid, I was always hesitant of saying I love you to my girlfriend or or any other women, and I didn't believe in this love at first sight kind of idea. I didn't believe in love in general, because I never got it when I was younger from my father, and my mother always took very good care of me, but as she told me, she was emotionally unavailable, so most probably because I was never loved the way I needed to, deeply, I probably never really experienced it the way I should have and that's why I had a hard problem feeling it and giving it to other people and doing that inner work kind of broke those barriers open and I could literally started feeling that now this is probably not what most people think they want they think they want more energy they think they want more drive they, they're not thinking about more love and more creativity but once you start getting it it makes so much sense it's like of course this is what life is about But it's kind of hard explaining that to somebody when you're in a zone of trying to be driven and trying to make money and trying to hit success because you have all your identity wrapped up in it and your idols and, and how you perceive you think life is and should be. So it was quite a surprise for me. But right now, I couldn't imagine a life being different than that. Obviously, I'll, I'll have times where, where it will be harder, where my life will be more of a struggle because life goes with ups and downs. But it would be strange for me to now try to suppress or let go of this love that I'm feeling because I could truly feel that that is the core or one of the cores of our human existence.
0: Mm, wow, that's profound. The lion, there's definitely so much there. And um... <laughs> Yeah, Paramount, right? <laughs> 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 um, there was a, 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 a book that I read a while ago. And there was this guy, I think it was Gordon Darby again. This, um, he had a session with this guy who kept telling him about his dream. And he said, in the dream, I'm being chased by a lion. And then the lion is just about to, to come closer to me and eat me or whatever he was going to do. And then I always wake up. Uh, but I'm running. I'm running hard. And then the Gordon Darby was saying to him, listen, maybe next time you have the dream, stop running. If you can control it, don't run. So then the guy did it. <laughs> he said, yeah, last night I had a dream. Uh, and, and he was sort of transformed because he had realized something. And I didn't run. I just turned and faced the lion. And the, the lion caught up with me. He looked me in the face and, and I asked him, who are you? Why are you chasing me? And the lion said, I'm your courage and your strength. Why are you running away from me? So to me, I remember years ago reading this, I'm thinking, I had that inside of me that the strong part of me, which, because I saw that in my father, I didn't know I had in me that lion, um, I had suppressed. And because you're too busy suppressing everything else, you're just pretending. There's not that much left to work with. So I'm just trying to be this nice guy and pleasing people and trying to, as soon as I see a lion inside of them, anything, any sort of conflict or ferocity or just passion, as, as I said to in my blog post, I would have been terrified of people like you. Even though if we had met 10 years ago, I was far bigger, like almost like twice the size I'm now, and you would have been far smaller. And yet, I would have been thinking, this guy, I don't wanna even even look at him because, you know, because of energy, because of passion. Um but when I embraced more and more of that strong and I did a lot of shadow work and many, many other aspects of of the in a work, in spiritual, emotional, uh, mental, then it, like you said, it opens up the room for love. And people say, oh, um, I mean, people, I, I met this guy, he hadn't seen me for one year. He said, you look very Zen. <laughs> Cause he's a, he's a Buddhist. And I said, uh, yeah, I guess I know what you mean. Zen, you know, it's like, just calm. And, uh, people don't see me becoming more ferocious. Actually, the more of the line is inside of me, the more free I am to, to be, to be, to, to, of course. And then that love and that childlikeness and that, uh, so, isn't that amazing? It's a paradox. If you grasp onto strength and success and, um, you know, Jesus said, like, get life, you lose it. Let go of life, you gain it. It's like, wow. You know, you, 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 uh, what was the word? it's Like, uh, you gain the whole world, but then lose your soul in the process. They're exactly like that old, uh, person you saw as your mentor thinking, wow, he's gained so much. And yet, where is his, he? He's hollow. Inside, there's nothing. It's just, uh, the wrinkled, um, packaging outside. There's nothing inside. It's amazing. I mean, it's just I'm just overjoyed at just hearing all these stories because you've used to so young and you've come out at this side of, of this vicious circle that most people don't actually come out of until they're they're quite old. Like you know, oh, I've conquered the world and I haven't got anything. But you somehow got it so early. Say no, I'm coming off the treadmill and I'm going to pursue myself and truth. So um, yeah, well done, man. Yeah,
1: one one, one more one more thing to add on. As you're talking about, the more of that love and you have and that strength, the more calm you are. Yeah. You're not out there doing all things, which is a more natural state, wouldn't you say? Yeah. That kind of state where you're like you're reclaiming yourself and all those things. One thing that I was thinking about was I was in Costa Rica hanging around. And I was staying somewhere at a, pl- at a place where they had a pool with a crocodile in it. Not a swimming pool, obviously, just a, <laughs> a pool they had. You know, it's not like, you know, like, oh, you don't want to pay? Go have a, have a dip in the pool. You know, not like that. But um, they, they would have a crocodile in this pool. And when I would look at the crocodile, it would just, it would not move all day. It would just be there, do nothing. And I would observe it. And the crocodile is an animal. It's one of the few animals that has survived after the dinosaurs. So it's been here from before the dinosaur. So the crocodile has been living for a long time. So it must be doing something right. Yeah. We're we're not, I mean, I'm not saying we're crocodiles. Yeah. But the crocodile is doing something right by surviving this millions of, of. I don't even know how long it is. And then I'm watching a crocodile. And what does the crocodile do? Most of the day, it just lays down and it does nothing. It's just calm. It's keeping its energy. It's conserving its energy. And it's observing and waiting for its prey. And once the prey comes, what does he do? He attacks with all of his intensity in his most aggressive and cruel manner, to get what he needs—the flesh, the protein, the energy—to then survive and keep living a long life. And I was thinking, I should be more like a crocodile. As in, if you look at most humans, we're the opposite. We're constantly busy. I'll oh, do this, do that, do this, do this. Ha oh, ha oh, I gotta stay busy. I gotta do here. I gotta go here. I gotta here. But isn't it interesting when you said? When I do the work and I return to my inner self, I become more calm. The strength is there, but I only use it when I need to. That's like the crocodile. We should be more like the crocodile. That's something weird that I just think about Mm. sometimes.
0: Yeah, every successful person um, had to become weird in this way to protect yourself from the world because the world is mad. Winston Churchill, he had a nap for like two or three hours every afternoon. It's like, what? In wartime? food and drink and drawing and his animals and things, but he was effective and if you want to be effective like the crocodile is effective then you have to be different in the world the world is just about um activity but not effectiveness because there's not sharpness of that inner energy wonderful that was a great conversation Alex thank you thank you so much Uh, is there any website that that you can that people can find you on if you want to be found by people
1: Well, before they go to my website, I would really want to ask for you, if you're at the end of this conversation and you're still listening, we must have done something right. So then I'd like to inspire you to go watch my speech, which is just go to YouTube, how to feel alive without giving up drive. That's the one. Or just look for my name, Alexander Ziri um, on Google or online. Please go watch that speech. And if you're still interested, then you can go to my website, alexanderziri.com. But if you do anything, if you only take one action, go and enjoy my speech, my friend, because I put a lot of work into it, into delivering this message into a way that will hopefully inspire and entertain you.
0: Yeah. And from a purely professional side in terms of the business, I've never met a better business coach. And despite of me, my business started picking up, you know, as much as I try not to, after, after working with Alex, it, it, it will just happen. It will just happen. So, um, yeah, go check him out. He's a good guy. Thank you, Alex.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you for having Alex, me. my
0: friend.